0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. We're continuing in our series The Story of Scripture and we've transitioned into the book of Isaiah this past week. Now, if you're following along in the one you're reading, this is one of the first times that we are reading out of the order that the books are in the Bible and Uh, That's for a number of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is the books of the Bible aren't necessarily chronological. They're more topical and genre-based, and so because we just finished 2 Kings, Isaiah speaks so much into what's happening in the Kings, and so we're bringing another perspective into that history that we just finished reading in 2 Kings in the book of Isaiah. Now, the book of Isaiah is uh, a very large book of the Old Testament. And it's a, a prophetic book, it's a poetic book. And so sometimes it can be difficult to understand. How does this fit? I don't understand. And there's some contextual things. and So two bits of advice just as you get ready to read Isaiah 1 is please watch the Bible Project video ahead of time. If you haven't watched it, I would encourage you after service, before you pick up Isaiah again and continue to read, to watch the Bible Project videos on Isaiah. They will help give you an overview just to kind of give you uh, the uh, lens in which to look at Isaiah Second, I would encourage you to get a study Bible if you do not have one. This is one of those, as you read through the one you're reading, that you probably are going to just have some more just basic uh, questions around just what does that mean? Like, like I, don't even, I don't even know what it means To me today, that's one question, but another thing, what does it even mean in the reading itself? Because of the poetry, sometimes the language used can be difficult for us to understand because there's a lot of meaning that's changed over the years. So a study Bible will help you with this. If you do not have one, I recommend the ESV study Bible that is put out by Crossway. We use the ESV. I preach from the ESV, and it's a great study Bible. I would encourage you to invest into it. But today's sermon, we're in Isaiah chapter 6, and so I want to read it for us, uh, verses 1 through 9, and then we will jump into it together. So if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. A couple of years ago, we studied this particular passage in a series that we did, just talking about pursuing God and and the holiness of God. And so, uh, even though we have studied this passage before, I want to take a fresh look on this passage and just what God may be speaking uh, to us. You know, we're in a season, obviously, that is different and unique. The fact that I'm looking just at a video camera and not this room filled with people, already just is an example of that and and you, we don't need more examples to talk about necessarily how this season is unique one of the things that i have appreciated about this season um, is the fact that the church has gathered together to pray and we're praying for people we're praying for one another we're praying for revival we're asking god's glory to come and that through difficult tragedy that triumph would happen we talked about this a few weeks ago at easter that in the tragedy of the death of jesus on the cross Uh, three days later on Sunday there was triumph on that Sunday morning that with Christ there's always triumph amidst tragedy and so we're praying for that and we're praying for that revival to take place and so I want to look at this passage because we see a personal revival that takes place in Isaiah that would ultimately filter into his ministry and I want to challenge us as a church as we look at this, that we would pray for God to bring personal revival to our lives and then let it filter out into the world around us. And so walking back through the passage, three simple truths today and then a closing truth. But the first truth is what do we see? As we see Isaiah, he saw the holiness of God. He saw the holiness of God. Now, just to walk back through it a little bit and see some context and how do we see that he saw the holiness of God. But in truth, or excuse me, in verse one, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was a king. This gives great context to help us understand uh, just what's happening here. King Uzziah was a king that, that was helpful. Uh, We talked about from the kings, there weren't a lot of kings in the 39 kings mentioned in 1st and 2nd Kings. There weren't a lot of them that honored God. Uzziah might have been and was one of the better kings. And so the fact that he had died, it immediately makes us think of a tragedy or specifically a situation that was not ideal within Uh, the people of God and within God's people. And so it's the fact that this year happened, that it was in this moment of great transition within the country of the people of God, the king had died. It says, Isaiah writing, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And he's beginning to describe the specific things that he saw. Now, I want to pause for a second. What is he overall describing? This is an example in Scripture of just what we see of a glorified theopony. Theopony, theos, is this Greek word that we get uh, that is is for God. And so when we bring it over in English, theopony, it's, it's, it's a God appearance. And so we see these all in Scripture. Jesus is the ultimate theopony, God in person. But these glorified theoponies are these moments where. We get a glimpse into God's glorified place, that we get to see him, that there's an appearance here, and we get to see into his glorified place. We'll study another one in Ezekiel when that time comes. We see another one in Revelation 4, but Isaiah 6 is one of the most famous ones. And so we know this because he's describing God. He, In the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting high upon the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. His glory, all these things, the train of his robe, his majesty, it just filled the temple, which is in that moment the presence of God. And above him stood seraphim. Seraphim are specific angels that, were, that were, had a, a responsibility of guarding the holiness of God. We'll see this in a second. It says, each had six wings. That's interesting. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. What's the simple meaning of this? And let me try to just keep it simple and just straightforward for time's sake. We get that too, he flew. Wings, that's what you do when you fly. But why two that he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet? Here's what it's symbolizing. We think of the feet to be to talk about that first. We see a picture of Moses when at the burning bush he comes into the presence of God and God tells him, do not come any closer. And in fact, take your sandals off because you're on holy ground. So there's this picture here, the fact that they cover their feet, what they're saying is they are in a holy place and their feet aren't even worthy to be standing right there in that moment. And so what they do is they cover their feet, representing the holiness of God around them. And the same is true with the fact that they cover their feet face you'll notice when you look at isaiah chapter 6 here and once again ezekiel chapter 1 revelation chapter 4 all pictures of glorified theoponies they give descriptions of god in his glorified place in all three of those one things that one thing is consistently missing from all three of those texts and it is a description of the face of god can't see the face of god Due to our sin, we are unable to see the face of God. God's face is is His complete glory revealed. He told Moses that if I showed you my face, you would die. Anybody who saw my face, who's unworthy to see my face, would die. But we know that through Jesus, that we are reconciled unto God. And Revelation, I say this all the time because I want us to see the magnitude of this, but Revelation 22 says that after God has made all things new, It'll be the Lamb of God on his throne. See this, a description of God on his throne. And his people will be in his presence, worshiping him, and they will see his face. See, the angels here have wings covering up their face because they are unworthy to see the face of God. Do you get this? The holy angels that are guarding the holiness of God are unworthy to stand in the presence and see the face of God. But one day, through Jesus, you and I will stand in this exact situation and setting, but our feet will not be covered, our eyes will not be covered, and we will get to see the face of God. I want you to see the magnitude of the description of the holiness of God, that the angels who are holy, the angels that are there guarding the holiness of God, had wings covering their feet, had wings covering their face, and of course... They're angels with wings flying. So they had two wings that they flow. And one, the angels, called to one another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In English, if I want to put emphasis on something, I'll say that that was good or that was better, or that was great, or that was best. And I add these uh, descriptors to show the severity of how something is good or better or whatever it may be. In Hebrew, you don't have individual words that are describing that. But what you do is you repeat words to give emphasis. So when Jesus, for example, in the New Testament says statements like, truly, truly, I say to you, he says it twice to emphasize the importance of what he's about to say, as opposed to just saying, truly, I say to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Here we see a picture of it saying, holy, holy, holy. This is the only time in Scripture, get this, this is the only time in Scripture where a descriptor is used three times describing God. It's the only time. Why? What it's emphasizing, what Scripture is emphasizing, what Isaiah is emphasizing, is the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest characteristic of God is His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Don't miss the fact that it repeats it three times. It's emphasizing the greatness of God's holiness in this moment. So truth number one is He saw the holiness of God. Continuing on reading in verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now we're going to talk about uh, smoke and fire a lot in this text, but smoke is just a picture, what is it? It's a result of fire. And in this text, we're going to see fire representing the holiness and the purity of God. And so the fact that it was filled with smoke is describing that it was filled with the effects of his holiness, Isaiah looks in and he sees the holiness of God. Would you just take a moment and think how would you respond if you were Isaiah here? If, if you could look in and see the holiness of God. Today, do you see the holiness of God? When you've been reading the Bible and when you're reading, do you see that God is holy and that you are not? Do you see how he is Fully set apart from us. He is far greater than us. He is holy. So the question is, what is your response? And we see Isaiah in truth number two, his response. Truth number two is we see him surrender in the presence of God. He saw the holiness of God first, and then what? He surrendered in the presence of God. He saw the holiness of God, he surrendered in the presence of God. Look, look what he says in verse five. Woe is me. Woe in um, Old Testament specifically, when we begin to see and read the prophets as we do this in the one you're reading, you're gonna begin to see the word woe a lot. And one of the, uh, I guess not, it's a genre, it's within poetry, but one of the subsets of poetry is something that is called a woe oracle. It's an oracle that was spoken, it was an oracle of judgment that was spoken And woe was put at the beginning to put emphasis on the calamity that was about to come because of people's sin. And so Isaiah applies that principle to himself. And so let's not miss the gravity even here where he says woe is He saw the holiness of God, and his response was to recognize that he, because of God's holiness and because of his sinfulness, that the judgment was due upon him. He says, woe is me, for I am a lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. This will be important. We'll understand this. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why does he say this? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want to pause for a second and end with what I just read and go back to truth number one. We talk about at New Hope that one of the marks of a Christian is that we live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. One of the places we get that from is right out of Isaiah chapter 6. But I want us to get something. We cannot live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus if we have not first seen that he is King. I know this is a simple, obvious truth, but I want to make it clear that if you have yet to see God in His holiness, if you have yet to see and recognize that Jesus is who He says He is, and He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and according to Ephesians 1, that He has been put on His throne And he is ruling and continuing to rule after he died for us. He was raised from the dead. He was made alive and he was raised and is at the right hand of the Father sitting on his throne. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Until we come to recognize that as truth in our lives, you and I cannot live surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Notice here, he surrenders in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God in that moment. He surrenders. Why? Because his eyes have seen the king. He has come and seen God in his presence, in his holiness for who he is, and his response is, woe is me. If our response is anything other than, woe is me, when we've come to the word of God, or we've come into the presence of God in worship, when we gather, when we gather in this room and we worship, or right now in your home, if you say, I am worshiping, but your response is anything other than, woe is me and surrender, then you're not really worshiping, and you have not really seen The holiness of god see because when we see the holiness of god our only response is woe is me if right now in your heart and i'm I'm being strong but i want to be clear for out of love i want to be clear if your response right now in your heart is anything other to god other than woe is me i am unworthy of you i am unworthy of your grace then i don't think you really see him for who he is and i pray today that you would i pray that in the same way that God opened up Isaiah to see who he really was. I pray that God, right now where you are, would open your hearts. Holy Spirit, please, I beg you, open the hearts for people to see right now your holiness. And I pray that their response is, woe is me. And he says here, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. He, he's speaking Repenting not only for himself, but also for his people. He is praying and crying out and confessing on behalf of the people. And So what happens in verse 6? It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a what? A burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. Remember, the altar of God, the holiness of God, The fire is representing his purity. It's representing uh, God's glory. Remember, the smoke was filling, representing a result of his holiness. The fire is right there at the core of his holiness. So one of the seraphim, who can't even touch it, takes tongs and grabs a piece that represents the holiness of God. He flies over to Isaiah, and what does he do? Verse 7, and he touched my mouth. Now, why is that important? Because remember, mouth, he's already talking about unclean lips. He's talking about the significance of unclean lips and that his sin was representative of his unclean lips. It's representative of the person of who he is, that he speaks and all that he does. And we understand scripture tells us that it's out of the wellspring of our heart that our mouth speaks. And so the spokenness is speaking of kind of a rebellion against God and it's showing at the core of who he is. And so the lips are representing him as a person. So what happens? They take... Tongs, or they take the tongs, they grab a burning coal, and he takes it and he brings it to his, and touches his mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We've talked about this some in this series, but I want us to see the beauty of this with Jesus. See, what does takes for Isaiah to be purified, what it takes is for that which is holy to touch that which is unholy and make it holy. See, the only way Isaiah has the ability to become holy, the only way Isaiah has the ability to have his sins atoned for, is for that which is holy to touch him, that which is unholy, and make him holy. This is what is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are unholy, you and I, Ephesians 2 says, are dead in our trespasses and sins. But in Christ, through the payment that Christ paid on the cross, through his death and resurrection, that he then reaches out in salvation and he touches us, he makes us holy. We looked at this a few weeks ago with Leviticus chapter 16, where The blood of the sacrifice, once it touches it, it makes it holy. See, the whole picture of salvation is that which is unholy being touched by that which is holy and it becomes holy. If you and I ever want to have our sins atoned for, it cannot be by us trying to become holy. It's impossible because it requires salvation, sins being atoned for, requires that which is holy to touch that which is unholy. So what is it in this world that is holy? God and God alone, which is why God had to pay the penalty for us. That's why salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That Christ alone is holy, and Christ alone has paved the way, and Christ alone is able to touch us and make us clean. To use the language of the text, have you ever been touched by the holiness of Jesus? Have you ever been touched by the grace of Jesus and without that touch you still remain unholy and you can never come into the presence of God and you'll spend eternity away from him. Your sin deserves that. My sin deserves that. What I am doing here now preaching the gospel is not because I have earned something, is, but I fully recognize that I could have never earned something and instead received the grace of Jesus. I saw Christ in his holiness in light of my sin, and I cried out, woe is me, forgive me, God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I confessed him as Lord, as Romans 10 says. Which is interesting, if you will confess with your mouth. This is what Isaiah does. He confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Taken straight out of Isaiah here. Isaiah confesses, and he, his sins are atoned for through that confession. Might you today confess Jesus as Lord. He saw the holiness of God. He surrendered in the presence of God. And then third, he spoke the message of God continue on with me in verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me, Isaiah says. And then God says what? Go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. The text goes on and he gives a bunch of Other things, the rest of the story of Isaiah is is the things that Isaiah spoke and messaged. But here's the question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then he says, here I am, Lord, send me. See, the result of seeing the holiness of God, the result of surrendering in the presence of God is third you will speak the message of God. We say this here at New Hope, and we firmly believe this, that Christ saves us and sends us. There's not one person who's been saved by the grace of Jesus who is not also sent on mission for the glory of Jesus. So we must recognize that if you would claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he's asking the question, who will go for us? And might your answer, might my answer, might New Hope's answer be, here I am, Lord, send me. As we talk about revival and we talk about praying for these things and we're praying for people to, to uh, come to know Jesus and we're praying that God would pour out his presence on us, sometimes I wonder if we really want that. And here, let me, let me just explain. Of course, pastor, we want that. But sometimes I think we're afraid of the results of that. And the result of that is the question being asked, who will go for us? And us having to answer, will I go? Here I am, Lord, send me. Or, you know what, I think you should send him. I think he's a little better at it. You know what, I'll just pray, but it's not my job to speak. And, and the challenge I think that I want to see from this text, and the challenge we see that I want to give to us as a church, New Hope, Is that God is calling you to speak the message of God? What is the message of God? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this story that you and I were made to be in communion with God, but due to sin, we were separated from Him, that we were unholy, we were unworthy to be in His presence. But yet Jesus loved us so much that He stepped out of His glory. He took on the form of a servant, even to the point of death on a cross tragically dying to pay the penalty for our sins. He bore the wrath of God so that he could have the right to touch you and make you holy. But it wasn't a tragic ending. It was a triumphant ending because three days later he rose from the dead. And because of that, he is victorious. And because of that, he is on his throne. And because of that, you and I can have a life. And that Christ will never die again. And the life that we have in Jesus, we too will never eternally die again. And that we can have life with Christ and we can be in his presence if we will confess him as Lord. Romans 10 says it this way. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? Calling on God is necessary for salvation. We just quoted that from Romans 10.9. You must confess Jesus as Lord. But how will they call upon him if they have not believed? And how, and how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not at all obeyed the gospel. Excuse me, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Church family, listen to me. God is calling us to speak the message of God. How might you this week speak the message of God to the world around you? In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And then after that, we're going to gather back and we're going to talk about practical ways that we are serving. But I want us to be clear on something. We are meeting physical needs and it's easy in this season to focus on physical needs, but let's not miss the most important need. And that is the need for people to believe in Jesus for salvation. And how will they believe if they have not heard? And so we must go and preach the good news of Jesus. And how will they go unless someone sends them? Guess what? I'm challenging you and sending you and the Holy Spirit has sent us already on mission we are sent once sometimes I wonder if we don't see revival in a great awakening a great awakening that we pray for because we are unwilling to surrender ourselves once it comes sometimes I wonder if we don't see revival because we are unwilling to surrender to the result of the revival of the Lord which is to speak the message of God we want the experience of revival but not the engagement that results from it True revival is not an experience, but an encounter with the holy God that empowers us to engage the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. i said it this way in the concluding truth. The true results of revival are encountering the presence of God, being empowered with the Spirit of God, and engaging in the mission of God. Let me say that again. The true results of revival are encountering the presence of God being empowered with the spirit of God and engaging in the mission of God. If you want an experience, go to a concert. But if you want revival, then the question you must answer is, are you willing to surrender, speak, and proclaim the gospel? I pray if you heard this today, first, if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, might you see him in his holiness, and might you just cry out to him in confession and surrender. And if you've already done that and you're listening to this, then the challenge for you today is, once again, see God in His holiness. Surrender fresh and anew today and walk out on mission and speak the message of God. We're going to take some time now, and I want you to gather with those that are in your home. Gather with your family, gather with your roommate, or if you're by yourself, just where you are. I want us to spend some time praying together, just like we did last week. I want you to engage those that are in your home. We want to pray together. And so there's going to be some prompts that pop up on the screen that I'll encourage you to pray. We're going to pray for uh, the persecuted church in this time. We're going to pray for other things in our city. But they'll pop up on the screen and each time the screen changes, you'll hear, you'll hear a little bell ring so you don't have to keep looking. Just listen while you're praying and then glance up at the screen and when you hear that bell to just have a new prompt. But take the next 10 minutes right now and just spend some time praying together with those in your home, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about more ways we can apply this message. Take some time now and go ahead and pray.